0: Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, July the 19th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And what do we do on Mondays? We take a look at the readings for the following Sunday, which will be the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, July the 25th, 2021. And there are readings from Genesis 9, Ephesians 3, and Mark 6. We're going to take a look at the Genesis 9 reading, because it has a theme that really needs to be carried over into our lives. The flood has taken place in the Bible. And God is talking to Noah and his sons with him after the flood. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. Now, this is found in Genesis 9, beginning with verse 8, and God is establishing a covenant. Now, we need to understand what the word covenant means. It's also translated as testament. For example, when someone dies, people then look at their last will and testament. That is, the promises that they have given as to how what they have owned is distributed to their relatives, friends, etc. So this covenant is very important. Uh, A lot of people think that the word testament refers to the Old Testament and the New Testament books. But one is hard-pressed to find that word used to describe the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament books. The Old Covenant is a covenant that God made at Mount Sinai. The New Covenant is a covenant God made with Abraham already backing up to Adam and Eve that no longer would people get to heaven by what they did, but instead a Savior would come and bring them salvation. So when God says he's establishing his covenant, he's establishing it with everything on earth. And what is it? Verse 11. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, we're hearing from a lot of false theologians these days, because they believe in evolution, that there never was a worldwide flood, and therefore that was just kind of made up in the Bible. Well, if that's true, then God is really wasting his time in making a covenant that never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth because there never was a flood to destroy the earth. It doesn't make any sense at all. It would be like a marriage covenant, where somebody says, a man to a woman, I will stay married to you until I die. And during this time, I will never even date anyone. That makes no sense if the two people are not married. What good is a covenant when the basis of it hasn't occurred? So God is making a covenant, and in that covenant, he's clearly saying that there had been a flood that destroyed the earth. Verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations sign what well, what does that mean well a sign of the covenant is a way in which god solidifies what he has promised and so he's going to give them a sign of this promise and what does he say verse 13 i have set my rainbow in the cloud And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, whether or not rainbows had been around prior to the flood isn't important. The fact is, is that God is now pointing to the rainbow that appears in the sky. And that is going to be the sign that God will never again destroy the entire earth with a flood. Now, it doesn't say there won't be floods, but there'll be no flood to destroy the entire earth. How the end of the earth is going to take place, nobody knows. We don't even know when it will take place. There are those who try and figure it out. But if you take a look at their history, they have been wrong every time because the end of the earth still hasn't occurred. Judgment Day hasn't come. But however it comes, it will be a surprise. That means it's going to come as a thief in the night, Jesus says when no one is expecting it. About the only time I ever expect that the end of the earth will not occur is when you have some denomination saying, well, it will occur on this date. People sell their houses. They get ready to be taken to heaven. That's the one day I know The earth will not be destroyed, or judgment day will not occur, because it's going to come as a thief in the night, not when people expect it. So, when we think of the rainbow, don't we think that that is a reminder to us that God will not destroy the earth with waters? Well, not quite. Listen to 14 and 15. When I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Now that's kind of a surprise. If God is omniscient, which means he knows all things, why does he have to be reminded of anything? Well, it's really a reminder for us that when we see that rainbow, we know that God remembers his covenant that is between himself and every living creature Of all flesh. And he continues in verse 15: And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So the text ends with verse 17. God says to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So that's a pretty obvious lesson that when clouds gather and a rainbow appears, look how many people get excited and start taking photos of the rainbow. It is there as a reminder that God will never again destroy the whole earth with a flood. Now, can that kind of thinking be used in other situations. Jesus, when he is questioned about what sign are you going to give us, the the sign he gives, he says, as Noah, I'm sorry, not Noah, but as somebody was put in a big fish, And why was he put in a big fish? He fled from God when God told him to go and provide salvation to the Ninevites. Now he didn't like the Ninevites at all. And therefore he fled from God, went on a ship. There was a huge storm and he knew that he was responsible for that storm. And so instead, he threw himself into the sea, was swallowed by a fish, then was spit up on the beach, and he went to Nineveh. He preached for three days, and the whole town was converted. Now, he was not happy with that. Remember, he went up on a hill and he was getting shaded by a plant from the sun. But it soon dried up, and he was angry. And God says, you're angry at that, but not angry at what happened to all these people in Nineveh. And he even mentions a number of individuals in Nineveh who did not know their right hand from their left. And there, God is, of course, talking about individuals who are children. And he didn't even care about them. That's not really very good. And so, what happens here is that God Has him go into Nineveh and preach the message. And that message is one that Jonah, the guy who got swallowed by the big fish, did not want to preach. So he wasn't enthusiastic about it. I kind of like that story, which is true, because. There are times when a pastor does a sermon and he says, boy, I should spend a little bit more time on that. Who knows if it has an effect? But if Noah's words had no effect from his point of view, in the sense that he wasn't doing it with great gusto, yet it still converted people, then who knows what your sermon is? will do that you hear in fact at one time people would come out and i'd say what did you like about the sermon and i stopped asking that question because they often would say well what i really liked about it and then they would say something that i can't remember i even said so god uses sermons to help the people in their own personal lives And with that help, there's no doubt that every sermon can be fruitful and it will not return empty. Now, pastors should still be very involved in finding the insight of a sermon. So let's go ahead. What's the insight of Genesis 9, talking about this sign? Well, it's not the only time that signs are spoken of. For example, the unbelieving Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign. No sign will be given except the sign of Noah, who was in the belly of the fish, and so also will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth, just for three days and then he will rise. In fact, just in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus gives that prediction about him going to Jerusalem and dying, but then rising from the dead. Now, do we have a sign that that has occurred, that that is a way that God remembers his promise? Yes, we do. It's called the Lord's Supper. The sacraments of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are referred to as signs that God gives us. And we say, well, wait a minute, these are signs not that he'll remember, but that we will remember his promises that he has bestowed upon us. So what are these signs? Well, let's look at the Lord's Supper a little closer. Take eat, this is my body. Take drink, this is my blood, which is given to you for the forgiveness of sins. And then many translations have it, do this in remembrance of me. Now, What does he mean by that? Because who of us can forget about God? I kind of like a possibility of another translation, and that is, when you receive the Lord's Supper, you do this in my remembrance of you. See, the Bible talks about God remembering and God forgetting. Both of those are in a sense metaphors because God never forgets anything. So what does he mean that he will forget sometimes his people? It's it's a way of talking about how he deals with unbelievers. Unbelievers no longer have the promises that God gives to believers. In fact, You saw that happen with the Babylonian captivity. Many people in Israel were taken into slavery. And that was a reminder to them that they had deserted God, that they had fled from him. So when we take the Lord's Supper, yes, it is a reminder to us that God is keeping his promise. When did he give his last will and testament? It was at the Passover meal with the disciples. Take eat, take drink, receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins. And it really wasn't until after Jesus rose from the dead that the disciples began to understand what he truly had said. And so... The Lord's Supper is actually a remembrance by God to remember his people. When he forgets a person, he has them under a curse because of their unbelief. And it could result, if they continue in unbelief their whole life, that hell is going to be their destination. But... If through the power of the Holy Spirit, upon hearing the word, being baptized, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, God then remembers his people. So when we go to the Lord's Supper, it's much more than simply receiving his body and blood. It's kind of very similar when we see the rainbow in the clouds it reminds believers that he will never destroy the whole earth with water so also when we receive the body and blood of christ it's a reminder to us that he's remembering us with his many blessings and these blessings are found in holy scripture now, the introit, which is kind of a psalmody for the ninth Sunday of Pentecost, is taken from Psalm 145. This is what the believer says On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Now, kind of keep in mind both the rainbow in the sky and the lord's supper i will extol you my god and king and bless your name forever and ever every day i will bless you and praise your name forever and ever now god blesses us how do we bless him it is explained in that verse by praising his name forever and ever. Now that's difficult in the society in which we live because people don't like to hear about the will of Jesus Christ in regard to morality and immorality these days. People are even fired from their jobs if they speak against certain kinds of immoral living. That's what we're faced with. But by praising his name every day, it means we will not keep silent in the midst of false teaching. The intro goes on. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. What does that mean? Well, when you're looking for something and you can't find it, it's unsearchable. What is unsearchable in regard to your salvation? The fact that you can't figure out why God elected you. It's the greatest mystery of the entire Bible. Why are some saved and others are not? Anybody who attempts to answer it will always be speaking false doctrine. Why? Because nowhere in the Bible is that explained. It will be explained to us when we get to heaven because we will have far greater minds than we have now. But right now, much of how God deals with us is unsearchable. The intro goes on. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. Well, a good example is the Lord's Supper. A morsel of bread, a sip of wine, and you're receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That is an awesome deed done by God. And to explain it, is unsearchable. That's why we live by faith, not by sight. And there are so many things that happen in our life that at least every day, if not every hour, somebody can say, thank you, Jesus, for what is happening in their life. Now, these awesome deeds that God is doing in your life, They shall pour forth from the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. What's God's righteousness? It's the righteousness that Jesus obtained for us by innocently dying on the cross and taking upon himself our sins. We who believe in him are declared righteous by God. That's an awesome deed. And so when we go to the Lord's Supper, it is not only an occasion like the rainbow is to remind us of his promises, but it's also a a way that God reminds himself that he has forgiven our sins And that heaven is our home. So we can say even of the Lord's Supper. This is the sign of the covenant. That I have established. Between me and you. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith. We're taking a look at the hymn. Entrust your days and burdens. Join with us tomorrow at 930. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. God bless you.